Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations. I'm Lee, and I'm here with my friend Alex Newsom. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be on. Thanks for coming on, and happy Lord's Day. Hey, happy Lord's Day to you as well. Yeah, fantastic. So so you have you've just come from worship with the saints. That's wonderful. I have. Had a nice lunch, I hope. Yeah, uh, yes. Glorious, glorious, glorious <laughs> Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> That's Ohio's finest right there. That's Ohio's finest. Yeah, this is a this is an official <laughs> Ohio cast right now. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is, is like the best. <laughs> so Alex, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do online and all those kinds of things. Yeah, so I run the Facebook and Instagram page Fishers of Memes. Uh, so I essentially have been also in ministry for about five to six years now. Um, and it's been an absolute blast being able to, uh, just grow and learn as I'm, you know, really going further in ministry. And so it's just been an absolute pleasure to really just get myself acquainted. And I feel like, you know, as I've gone through, obviously I got in at a very young age, you know, getting in at the sharp young age of 19 years old, really in my first, uh, official position, I believe. And, you know, um, you just, you know, I started in actually an internship and, you know, it was just something that I've really grown and just built from there. And um, so I'm currently serving as the associate pastor at Liberty Missionary Baptist in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. And so it's been an absolute blessing being back home from uh, where I was living in Texas. Ministering in the Queen City, man. Have there been challenges? Uh, Definitely so. Um, I think that, you know, the the area of Cincinnati we're in is actually a lower income area, as most would call it, as the government would probably label it. And so I think when you are there, uh, you are really seeing a lot of different churches, um, heavy, heavy Catholic influence uh, in the area. And so it can sometimes make things difficult. Um, you run into a lot of with evangelism, you run into folks who because of that heavy Catholic influence, you know, they've been taught, they've been trained really a works righteousness salvation. So when you're trying to evangelize to them, you're trying to at the same time really undo, you know, decades upon decades, generation upon generation of really a works faith righteousness, a works faith salvation. And so um, I think that that's definitely one of the challenges, but um, we've got a really strong core group. Uh, And I know that's something we've been trying to continue to just uh, grow in our area, but it is a slow process, I think, just because of the area. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That's, that's really tough to break through for sure. Um, I've noticed that in, in my various times in Cincinnati, a lot of, a lot of big Catholic churches. And Mm -hmm. the thing I thought was interesting is that you know, if you go over the border into Indiana a little bit, the the bordering county in Indiana has a ton of um, Missouri Synod Lutherans too, which I think is kind of interesting. That such a uh, such a confessional group of Lutherans would basically be butted up against a an, a very Catholic county or yeah. city. Yeah, because they're the, uh, the LCMS are really good on like law and gospel distinction too. Yeah. Um, yeah, we actually, it's funny you say that because 
Uh, one of the only other few churches that I really see on my drive week in and week out is actually another Lutheran church. And so it's just interesting that you say that. Um, but again, compared to that Catholic, you know, really section, it is just, it pales in comparison. But then I always love, um, we have our little chart of all our SBC churches in the area. <laughs> and um, even down to, it was very comical. They even have, you know, this church is, you know, a church plant. Um, and then ours is on there as well as like, oh, this is a, they have a bivocational pastor. So, and it's like, wow, way to let them know, like, hey, if you're here throughout the week, we aren't there. <laughs> we are, we are plugging it away on the nine to five. We are not in the building. Don't show up. Don't knock. We're not there. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting little area. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Well, and, and another, you know, I'm sure another neighbor, uh, or, or kind of churches that are your neighbors are, are some pretty seeker sensitive, uh, mega church esque, especially in the big cities. Um, mm-hmm. I, I live more rural, so, uh, there's not quite as much of that, but it's like little churches pretending to be that, but yeah. that very like nineties, early two thousands seeker sensitive thing. Um, how much of that is going on in your neck of the woods? So it's actually very interesting because where we're located in Cincinnati, Cincinnati is very, it's one of those broad general terms um, to put into perspective. It's kind of like when people will say from Texas, you know, we would say, oh, I'm in Houston, but really you're in kind of a subdivision that is just kind of lumped together as Houston um, to give that a little bit of a non-Ohioan sense for maybe if somebody's ever been to those areas, you know what it's like. Um, and so it's kind of like that, but, um, where we are is really in the heart of Cincinnati. We are maybe about 15 minutes from our downtown area. And we are also maybe about 10 to 15 minutes from, um, the university of Cincinnati and the university of Cincinnati has actually just recently, um, even though it's an SBC plant, um, it's very much, you know, they are going full Craig Rochelle marketing, like, you know, it's slap the church logo on everything and push it out to the city. So then people know our name, people know, you know, the church name. And so I think that is probably one of the biggest. And I know we have kind of an up and coming area that seems uh, a bit the same, something that I know uh, we had, you had seen a little bit of that. I was just, uh, our church had considered merging. And when my pastor had me view it, I was like, I, I don't think I would do very well if we were to merge with this church. I, I, and it was one of those where I could just reading their mission statement and reading through these things, which, you know, by the way, for the listeners, like I know those things can make some people cringe of, you know, oh, it's a mission statement. Who cares? Those things are very important. Mm -hmm. Um, As somebody who has been in ministry, those things are vitally important those areas of your website where it is talking about, you know, what do we believe for those of you that may even be in ministry as well. Those things are so, so, so important because when I looked at these things, when I listened to the overall message, you know, there are things that you can sort of pick up, you know, not every message is going to be, you know, full on, you know, maybe a prosperity gospel or, you know, one of those things. But, you know, when you're reading those mission statements, that's when you can really see like, okay, I see where your desire is and your desire is purely just getting butts in the seats. Um, and so 
I think that those things become apparent, even if not from there, um, just a few brief conversations with a pastor, you can really see, you know, where their desire is. And it's really important for people who are looking for a church to do that bit of homework too, because oh, absolutely. there's a lot of people who would just go on. It's like, oh, well, uh, I like the sermons, you know, or, or I like, mm-hmm. or I like such and such. Well, you know, you really need to do your, you need to do some research and, and understand because like, like you said, some of the tr- the troubling or problematic parts that that you might read in a statement of faith may not come out in a sermon ever, you know. Yeah. But the church would still hold to them, but it wouldn't come into the pulpit. And especially right. like a seeker sensitive church is going to want to downplay things like that for the for the mm-hmm. sake of marketability. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm intrigued. Um, sometimes I, I think some churches, and I'm I'm thinking of smaller churches, you know, mm-hmm. have have they the the current pastoral staff have inherited a statement of faith from the past and mm-hmm. one of the things that i wonder about is you know especially if you're looking at a church website and i read the statement of faith would the current leadership of the church even hold to that statement of faith mm. you know what i mean like yeah, yeah. Th- this came this came with it but we haven't yeah. we haven't updated it or done anything it's just it's just been there since the 70s you know or something like that yeah um how would how would you approach something like that uh, if either somebody was telling you about something like that or or you were looking for a church? I think that you know there are certain ways you can go about that. I think that some statements of faith are very straightforward. Um, you know, when you're looking at you know what we believe, um, unless you are really trying to change the direction of a church, maybe it has gone that seeker sensitive, a word of faith type way. And somehow you're landing yourself behind that pulpit and leadership in that church. Um, there are two things that really come with this for one, you, there is really nothing wrong with doing this, but you have to understand that any changes you make anything like this, there is going to be pushback. And that's not just, you know, Gretchen, who's been at this church since 1954 and, you know, she, her grandpappy, you know, founded this church. Like, you know, it's not just her. You're going to get pushback from all these people who have now been influenced, whether directly or indirectly by this statement of faith. Um, And so I think that with two, the second thing that comes with this, you are really going to look at, you know, you are more than likely going to lose people. Uh, it is no real, you know, surprise or shock to anybody that typically when there is a change in leadership, there is also a correlating uh, shift in not only the culture, but even the congregation, uh, you know, and one thing that, you know, looking forward, not looking forward, that makes this what I'm about to say sound so grim. Um, <laughs> it will be interesting um, with just having, you know, plenty of his books and, you knowing me personally, I'm a huge MacArthur guy. I think that. Oh, I know you, you know, are. <laughs> I, I think, but I think though, you know, in one thing that a lot of people don't think about when, you know, let's be honest, and more than likely Phil Johnson takes over that position. What will the direction of that church look like? You look even back in way past history when Luther passed, the person who took over for him, you know, the reason that the Lutherans don't hold to the Presbyterian, you know, form of, uh, predestination or election 
is because the person immediately after Luther who took over didn't really agree with him. And so I think you can run into these things and it can, you don't realize that how these small little subtle, you know, statements or these small little beliefs can completely shift a doctrinal view. Um, and so again, we're not just saying, oh, well, you should really take your time with this just for the sake of, you know, look nice. We say this because it's like, you do not realize the shift that can come from making such changes. Yeah. And those shifts can, can happen really quickly. And I I think, I think the, uh, kind of the seeker sensitive movement, uh, that we're talking about today is a good example of that because, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it doesn't take very long for a church with, you know, uh, um, a, uh, a founded background in a particular kind of doctrine and, and, and it takes, you know, one, one song leader or, or one mm-hmm. pastor or whatever to, to, to turn it in a, in a completely different direction. Yeah. Um, so if uh, here's a, here's a hypothetical question. So let, okay. let's say you're evaluating a church and, and you're just going from, from written statements, like a statement of faith or testimonials on the website, not not watching a live stream or listening to a sermon. In your mind, uh, as you evaluate, what what are the uh, the red flags that might come out to you in print to say that this is either a seeker sensitive church or or a prosperity gospel church? What are what are some of the maybe buzzwords or turns of phrase or or kinds of red flags that you would see in print that would say, "Ooh, this." This is a difficult. This might be a. Uh, this might be one of those um, kinds of churches. Is definitely the view on, you know, evangelism. How do you view evangelism? What is you know? Some people can look. Not I shouldn't say too strongly. I feel like too strongly is a bad way to phrase uh, the evangelism side of things. But when it truly seems like your your mission statement or you know, how you view your congregants is, you know, what can we do to bring the people in? Um, and to give the church, you know, obviously with not naming them, there's no, you know, sense of slander here. You know, that's right. definitely not what I want. Um, but this church in their mission statement, it had said something to the extent of, we want to essentially minimize doctrine. So that way we can increase in the people that we're bringing in in the in the danger of saying this is you know much alike you know what the very 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 famous soundbite you know from Furtick from way 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 back in like the early 2000s as he was talking about you know um if you want to come here and learn about the doctrines of grace as told by John Calvin you know this is not the church for you and you know going through and really emphasizing like we're not going to focus you know on you know, it made it almost come across as like, we're not going to focus on Bible study. We're going to focus on, you know, getting people here. And um, one other big thing that, you know, is very, very common in these churches uh, is you, if you want to know if a church focuses this way, go through their last months or so worth of posts. How many times if weekly are they telling you how many people have come to Christ within this church? If a church has the desire to state over and over and over and over again, how many people have come to faith in their congregation? 
this is not to say that that is a bad thing. That is obviously the church's goal is to win, you know, to see souls won to Christ, you know, through the means of preaching. This is not, you know, condemning that. But with that normally comes a very sinner's prayer, a very, you know, I see that hand kind of <laughs> leadership done there. And, you know, but this is this is how they're getting their count, though. You know, having been through it so often, this is how they get that count. And then their next step is I'm going to go on social media and I'm going to post it and I'm going to get amens and hallelujahs and it is mm-hmm. going to be amazing. But are these people truly converted? Um, you know, my other person that you can't stand that I like so much is Washer and Washer has just, you know, if you know, he's been very honest, like he is completely opposed to the sinner's prayer. It's disgusting to him. But the reason for that is because we're kind of popishly deeming people saved and we right. see no fruit. We've seen no, you know, real repentance. There's really no way to see repentance, you know, in just a in small interaction. You know, I think anybody could say, well, yes, I see, you know, sin this way. Their life will tell that. You know, I don't need you to tell me you have repented. You know, if you need to tell me that you have repented from sins and, you know, this, that, and the other, you know, that should, for, you know, that should be abundantly clear in the way you're living, you know, the fruit that you're bearing, all of these different things. Uh, I would say those are my two biggest things that they look at where it's showing that we clearly, you know, and maybe they are focused on discipleship. This is not to say this is a, you know, complete case and this is not the case for every single church i'm sure there are good biblically solid churches that do just want to boast in those things mm-hmm. and you know but in my experience those are often the two biggest you know determining factors if this church may be more focused on getting people in than actually discipling those people that are already in there yeah they they're leaving out a whole part of the great commission thinking that they're fulfilling it you know, making yeah. converts is one thing, and that's that's good. We have to we have to have that if we're going to uh, disciple them as well and teach them to mm-hmm. to obey all that Jesus commanded. Absolutely. So, but but you when you get them, you still have to teach them <laughs> to obey. Yeah. You know, you you can't just do one half of the equation and let them go. Um, to go back to that verdict quote that you mentioned, it's it became a viral clip, and I think it was from early in in the ministry. He had like a shaved yep. head or something, and he said, <laughs> "You know, if you're here and you've and you've prayed the prayer and you're a believer, this church isn't for you. You're in the army now." Yeah, and just like no, 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 yeah. no, not and and you know, I don't think you have to be a Calvinist to believe that. No at all but no um but you do have to you do have to actually understand the great commission in order to understand that yeah so we've we've talked a good bit about the uh um kind of the the signs of of a seeker sensitive church um what are what are some of the other dangers that you know of uh, that come with a with the seeker sensitive church i think one thing that we see just all throughout is not only, you know, as we've kind of previously discussed, I think one thing that's up is you really see a perversion of the Great Commission. Uh, you see people who are just so focused on getting people in that, you know, and typically the reason this is so, you know, disheartening is it's because, you know, almost to the same extent that what we see in John chapter two, 
when we see that as they go for the Passover feast, there are all these people who are, you know, saying that they believe in Christ because they're seeing what, you know, he's done for other people. And a lot of what these seeker sensitive churches typically end up doing is it's not truly, you know, focused on Christ. It becomes almost kind of a man centered church where it's focused on, well, God has done this for so-and-so God can do the same for you. And while that may be true, that is not always the case. And I think, you know, really one of the other things is, uh, you know, this is not at all what we see biblically in evangelism. And uh, James Boyce, you know, he says the church is trying to be the church, do the Lord's work, the world's way. That is such a good quote. You know, I think, and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is I am using worldly ungodly godly means to try and sort of persuade people into salvation and you know obviously the easiest way to go back to is acts chapter two in acts chapter two you know it was not a you know just raise your hand and repeat this prayer you know it was not you know all these different things you know peter didn't need a bounce house and you know all these luxury things and he didn't need a haze machine with some light you know with the with purple the lights. lights in the background to yeah to be like now seriously though let's get real guys who wants to make a decision today for christ <laughs> yeah you know and you know because it it's just so cheap i think is ultimately the damage that it does you know it diminishes you know and this is something my pastor who, you know, I truly, truly love. And a way that he has put this is, you know, uh, we constantly see people who, you know, you know, just dog on me as, you know, somebody who is a cessationist, you know, where it's like, well, you're limiting what the spirit can do and all these things without realizing that, you know, regeneration in and of itself is a miracle. When you're talking about a dead person being brought into new life, you know, you do not get to discredit that and say, well, that's not a miracle. And so then when we've boiled that down to this finite, you know, well, you know, do you really believe this? Then just repeat this prayer. You know, the, when we look at the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the tax collector didn't need somebody to say, now say, I am Lord, I am a sinner. Now hit your breast and now fall on your knees to the Lord and now you're saved. He knew because the Holy Spirit had already begun a work in him. And so I think that this is what we're seeing and this is the damage that's done is then when we see somebody who is truly converted, Bodhi Bauckham has pointed this out numerous times, that then when you see somebody who has truly repented and they're truly believing and you know they're desiring holiness, where the person is, you know, they're still on the broad road trying to fake it and, you know, seem like they're on this narrow path, you know, now they're looking at the people who are, have truly been saved and all these things. And they're looking at their church and they're saying, you know, well, they're not doing what we're doing. And, you know, the answer that they get back is, you know, are you doubting what God is doing here in this church? And I think that that's the mentality that becomes so incredibly dangerous in these churches 
is if you question whether or not these people are truly saved, you are doubting what God has grown this church into. When we haven't really seen any power of the Holy Spirit, we've seen, you know, worldly people using worldly ways to try and get people to come week after week. And I think that's ultimately the most, you know, saddening thing of all these churches. Well, you know, to, I want to go back to something you just said a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, one of the one of the difficult uh, aspects of the seeker-sensitive church model is that it it obscures because they won't even approach doctrine uh, or and won't teach mm-hmm. it. It makes it difficult to discern who a believer is or is not. So they'll do the sinner's yeah. prayer thing, and you said that, okay, that's great. Then you move on and and go start telling people about Jesus. And either, um, you, well, you run into the problem of uh, there are there are people who said it but are unbelievers, but because they continue in the church because that's what they grew up to do, they appear to be believers by by those metrics. They're here yeah. and they tell people about Jesus, but do they really love Jesus? Um, we can't really tell yeah. because they don't know anything about Jesus. Um, they've not been taught exactly. anything more about who he is and what he has done in the importance of those things. And there, there could be true believers in the church that are stunted in their spiritual growth because they're on a steady diet of milk the entire time they're at that church. And they may appear to yeah. the church to be unbelievers because they're disinterested in the programs or or the extra, Mm -hmm. the worldly things, when the spirit is actively working in them and driving them to go counter to what this church is saying the spirit is doing. So which is it? Is Which one of those is the Holy Spirit? Because it's obviously two opposing passions, if that makes sense. And so by minimizing the message, by trying to be relevant and cool to the culture, that church actually becomes irrelevant because... It can't. It yeah. can't show the division between believer and unbeliever. That's one of yeah. my huge issues with the seeker sensitive model. Yeah, and you know, I I believe we kind of mentioned this earlier, but for those of you who may be like, you know, wow, these guys are so judgmental. Believe me, I've you know not only been in these churches, I've been on staff for these churches. So when I'm saying this, I'm not speaking from some void, you know, this isn't some ghost in the wind that I'm, you know, claiming is out there. This is something I've seen with my own eyes. And, you know, now that I'm in a very solid biblical church, you know, it's something I look back on. And, you know, even still, when I think of my time there, you know, um, I just, I look back and I, you know, it's a mixture of sadness Mm -hmm. and anger, you know, and, you know, which, you know, is not just something that's, you know, I'm just angry at these people. Like I despise these people. I don't, I love these people and I have a heart for them still, but I grow angry at myself. And, you know, it brings me to a place of like, you know, really looking at what I'm doing now in the church I'm currently within and saying to myself, you know, never again, you know, it's almost a, you know, this anger is almost coming from just an, an attitude of repentance where it's, you know, it's never again will I, you know, compromise. It's an actual righteous you know, the biblical standard for evangelism. Yeah. And, you know, because I don't want you guys to think I'm just angry at the people that are there. You're one of them angry like Calvinists. That, you know? 
yeah, no. In fact, it, in, you know, it really does. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because there are some really, you know, solid people within those churches. And I think that, you know, one of the things you see, especially in revitalizations, um, that's another big SBC yes. term uh, for my fellow Southern Baptists out there. You will see a bit, you will see the antithesis of what we just said earlier of trying to change the statement of faith for the good of you will see the culture shift normally for the worse. You will see somebody who will come in and they will have, you know, biblical elders, you know, people who have grown up and truly been rooted in the word and they will just get Mm -hmm. beaten down and get beaten down and down and down until they have to submit because they're not the leadership there. And, you know, that's truly what makes me sad. I remember a conversation I had um, at the church I was on staff with and one of the, he was an elder, you know, he was on, you know, all these different, you know, he was all these different, you know, smaller leadership areas in the church where he had a say. And I remember we just had a conversation. He's like, you know, it, it makes me, I remember him specifically saying, man, it makes me really sad that we don't talk about the blood mm, of Christ anymore. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. it, that, that I think was one of my first times where, yes, we had doctrinal mm-hmm. differences, but again, those doctrinal differences are important. And I think that was the first time that, you know, it felt like I just got punched in the chest when he said that because I, you know, and it made me really go back and think, and this is something I've talked about, you know, in our group of friends and things like that, where, you know, um, I had gone to so many churches, you know, two, three different churches where looking back, I'm like, I don't ever remember hearing the word repent. I don't ever remember hearing that word said, you know, and if it was, it was just kind of said in passing, you know, and I think that's another thing that, you know, they could have all the right terminology, but used in the wrong ways and still be seeker sensitive. Yeah. You know, um, Joel Osteen, you know, he says, you know, uh, when he leads his version of the sinner's prayer, he says, Lord, I repent of my sin. But at the same time, you haven't preached on what that means. <laughs> yeah, right. You've told you, you've told a person who's come in and, you know, you're just expecting them to know what that means. What not even just the word repentance means what biblical repentance is, what it looks like, what it Mm -hmm. constitutes, you know, that's when you really getting, get into, you know, Romans 12 and, you know, dying to self daily. And, you know, you get into all these different things, having your mind renewed. And, you know, all these different things that come along with, you know, seeing the error of your old ways and realizing all the things you have to turn back from. And, you know, I just think that these things get lost. And that's something that, you know, I saw and I was like, man, this breaks my heart that, you know, this is going on in a church that I'm a part of. So uh, to to kind of begin bringing this uh, episode in for a landing, what's the remedy for this? What are the what are the approaches that churches need to take to either stem the tide if if this ideology is working its way into the church or or to guide the church out of the seeker sensitive model and into a, a more biblically sound model? I think one of the I think one of the absolute biggest things is have a clear biblical understanding of the gospel. When we see in Acts 2, you know, 
again, this was not Peter just preaching some, you know, muddled, fumbling over his words. There's no power in it message. You know, he knew his audience and he shaped, you know, this gospel message directly towards them in the sense of, again, not that there's other gospel messages to bring, but to be really as convicting as it could. You know, when he says, you know, you are the ones that crucified Christ, you know, we can still read that today. You know, and when I hear that, I don't hear that from the sense of I come from Jewish descent. I was the ones that was that were literally, you know, calling for Christ yeah. to be crucified as they were. But, you know, um, man, somebody was ready to be like, you're not the Pharisees. <laughs> I want to get you're not David from like a Pharisee pr- perspective. That would have been weird. Um, but, you know, when he's saying this, what he's, you know, the way it applies to me is, it's because of my sinfulness. It's because of, you know, this massive sin debt, this sin nature that I was born into that Christ had to die so that, you know, if not by that, I could, my sins could have never been atoned. And so I think first, you know, get a clear understanding of the gospel and what it is from a biblical perspective. And I think number two is, and this is something, you know, that I had to go through. And this is something that, you know, other friends of mine have had to go through, uh, who I, you know, won't name just for courtesy sake, but you is the remembrance that you can only change a church culture so much. Right. Do not put on your shoulders that revitalizing your church in a biblical way, trying to steer them closer to the biblical gospel, to biblical truth is not your mm-hmm. job. It is something that can lead to massive problems. I'm not saying don't try. I'm not saying just throw in the towel, leave the church and abandon everything, you know, but we have to remember that in the same way that I don't convert a sinner, I'm not the one who brings that change. I'm also not the one who can bring conviction to somebody. I can preach the gospel as much as I want to leadership, I can try and steer in that direction. Um, but I can't change ultimately anything. Uh, and just in that, I remember, you know, one of the things that, uh, really did, it was, it was just heartbreaking to me is my pastor was a you know former pastor rather, man, that would have, that would have ended <laughs> bad with any, any of my church that members right. heard me say this, my, my former pastor, uh, the pastor I was currently on staff for, uh, he, he was a very big person where he said, well, you don't agree with this pastor's theology because I would say, well, I don't really feel comfortable leading elevation worship songs for our kids ministry that I was working in there. And our last interaction, I'm not joking. The last words I heard from him was him trying to defend from, you know, from a scriptural view of why Stephen Furtick is allowed to do what he's doing. And he, the comparison that he used was, if I'm not mistaken, from Philippians, when it was, because it's when Paul is saying, you know, well, sure, these people are doing it to spread the gospel, and these people are doing it almost despite me, but at least regardless, the gospel is being preached. <laughs> and this and was that's assuming that Furtick of, preaches the gospel, I guess. <laughs> and, and that was my thing. And, you know, I remember just wanting to look at him and be like, well, I guess, you know, if we were to say this, 
then Paul must have been out of line in Galatians 1 when he said that those that were leading them into a false, you know, perverted gospel should be anathema. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I guess he was in the wrong there because he just, you know, he shouldn't assume what gospel they are or aren't preaching. So silly. And I think that's the thing. And that was ultimately when I realized that making this move, you know, this is the right decision. Um, I think that when we can see that we will never change that culture, we will never do that. It is not unbiblical for you to say, I need to go where I'm actually going to be shepherded. I think that too many people, um, no offense to my fellow reformed brethren, some of you have like this idea that you are going to reform the church. (laughs) And believe me when I say it is a lot easier said than done. I know you've read every Luther, you know, (laughs) biography there is. Uh, It does not, unfortunately, always work out the way you think it is going to. And it is sometimes better to make the decision of, you know, because if you're not even aiming for church leadership, you have really no reason to cause division within that church. And so it would almost sometimes be better to say, I don't want to create division here. I've done all that I could possibly do from where I'm at in the church. And I think it's just time to move on for the sake of my family, for the sake of my own spiritual health. I need to move on so that way I can be shepherded. That, that's exactly that's exactly where I was at the last church that I attended before go, coming to my current church. Uh, and uh, it was the exact same. I was uh, one of the one of the worship leaders there and uh, it was it was definitely over music. So there was a lot of um, Bethel music that was starting to come in, Jesus culture music, yeah. elevation music, and I just didn't want to play it anymore. I was a bassist in the band, and uh, I had issues mm. with several of the songs. So you basically weren't playing. Yeah, I, I was completely. Yeah, I was unhearable, <laughs> but I was. Uh, but I was up there. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> we all know churches are. Uh, the churches hate bass, um, and so uh, so. And eventually, it just came down to I just. I've got to go. I have a I have a fundamental disagreement with what's going on here, um, and it wasn't just the musical elements. It was elements of the preaching, uh, um, issues with the church leadership, all sorts of things. But it really came to a head over music, you know, because co- corporate worship really matters. Um, it's it's sort of a big deal <laughs> for the church, and uh, you know, I, I I was very uncomfortable not only participating in it but even just sitting under it, uh, and, and I had to move on. Uh, and, and the, the church where I'm a member now is, uh, is amazing on that stuff. And, uh, and it's because I, you know, I think the, the ordinary means of grace, uh, ministry, uh, regulative principle of worship is so conducive to, uh, to right worship, uh, to, um, being restored, <laughs> you know, uh, eliminating distractions, yeah. um, and being ordinary, you know, ordinary worship is is yeah. good. I think it's the way it's appointed to be. Yeah. Um, and I know for myself, I've grown so much spiritually under uh, the ministry of the ordinary means of grace. And I know many other people uh, at church uh, with similar backgrounds to me have said the same thing too. The, the elements really yeah. do matter, you know, a, a 40 to 45 minute sermon versus a 20 minute sermon. And it's actually based on a passage of scripture. <laughs> bringing out the point of that passage in that sermon, uh, singing yeah. 
solid hymns that have stood the test of time in Psalms as well, uh, in, instead of whatever is passing for, you know, top 40 on Caleb this week. Um, and that, and that's just two of the elements. Don't worry. Yeah. And don't worry. The top 40 of Caleb has been the same top 40 for about 10 <laughs> years. So you're, you'd hear, I could, I could go back in time and probably hear at least three of the songs that they're playing on rotation still right now. I can still hear, I could still hear Corey Asbury's Reckless Love about five years ago. And I'd still, and, but back then, five years ago, I would have been like, man, this is so deep. This is so good. Yeah. Or, or, or Waymaker. That's, that's a big one now, too. And has been for a little while. Oh, man. Can I tell on myself in my uh, spiritual growth that at my previous church, that was a song I actually led our kids' ministry for? Uh, in front of their parents as well. Yeah. And I'd like to think there was at least one reformed bro <laughs> in the crowd who was like, we're never coming back here again. And, <laughs> and I steered them away from that church and they were just like, gosh, I hope I never see this guy again. Yeah, That, that was, that was oceans uh, at, at my former church too. <laughs> oh yeah. gosh. But now I will say that that was asked for by popular demand of the students, but, uh, but we, but we went with it. Everybody's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, not great. <laughs> I have yeah, I have no. my regrets, you know, but but <laughs> oh, don't we all? But uh yeah, so all right. Well, um, Alex, what just to sort of wrap it up, um, what any last words you want to say on on this on this topic before we uh, button it up here? No, I would just again I would encourage listeners, you know, um if you're currently in a church that, you know, you're not in leadership, you're not pursuing a section of leadership, you know, um, I would just say be very prayerful about, you know, the direction you should go within that church. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with moving on to a church that suits your needs if that seems to be where God is leading. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, if you would uh, remind the listeners where they can find you online and and uh, I'll make sure those links are in the show notes, too. Absolutely. You can find me on Facebook at Fishers of Memes and on Instagram at, I think it's at Real Fishers of Memes. Uh, gotta love when somebody's already gotten to it on Instagram. And so then you've got a, uh, you've got Josh who threw the dot in there and you had me who was like, I'm not I'm doing real. that. Like, uh <laughs> Yeah, I'm the real one. Don't go, don't go follow that fake. Don't go look up at Fishers and Memes on Instagram, only on Facebook. Um, but right now we're currently doing uh, Through the Bible in a Year. Awesome. And uh, also, I think, I think the LGBT, I think the Pride Month memes are done. I think I've hit my peak. I think I've been like, you know what, guys, I've done everything I can do with this we're subject. I think it's time to move on. Call out the other sin That's as well. Right. Can't play favorites for too long. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, all right. Well, uh, listeners can also go to the show notes to find links for Reform Meditations uh, on Twitter at Ref Meditations. There's also a page on Facebook. Uh, and then while you're in the show notes, you should also uh, take a look at the Bar Network website. Reform Meditations is happy to be a Bar Network podcast. And I highly recommend all the shows on the roster. Uh, they are excellent and you would do well to subscribe to all of them uh, as well. Uh, in the show notes, you can also find the link to the Exiled House of Meme Lords. 
uh, because as I always say, the Reformation will be memed. Um, all right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on. Uh, this is a great conversation. Appreciate your time. Uh, we'll have to do this again. Absolutely. And I've waited so long to have a guest I could do this with, but OH. I O. Man, I love it. Fantastic. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.